The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. You remain standing for the reading of the word as we turn to Exodus chapter 4. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning and then we'll dive right into the message. The Bible says these things and Moses answered and says, Now remember, Moses is in the midst of giving God all these excuses as to why he cannot do what God has called him and asked him to do. He's already said so many different things and then he one more time comes back to making the excuse. Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. You may be seated. This morning as we look at this passage of scripture, we must recognize we're really not so different from Moses. We have a lot of the same inclinations, a lot of the same reservations a lot of the same fears. But God, what if you're asking me to do is really too big for me? What if I'm really not prepared or equipped for what you're asking me to step into? God, I don't have the abilities. I don't have the talents. We talked about all these things a few weeks ago, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Watch it online. Buy the DVD and let that word get into your heart, how God helps us to overcome all those excuses. Matter of fact, I've come to tell you this morning that God has already given you everything you need to be successful in the kingdom of God. Now, let me delineate that very carefully. I said successful in the kingdom of God. I didn't say he's given you everything to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I said he's given you everything to be successful in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Peter said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything we need, he's already provided through the divine power and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why then do we frustrate ourselves with excuses? Why then do we allow ourselves to be overcome with fears and uncertainties? Why then are we the first ones to make the list of what we cannot do when God has already declared you can in Jesus' name? Kind of reminds me of the story of the the brand new monk who went to the monastery. And that particular monastery, their job was to transcribe the church laws and ordinances. And they spent all day just copying laws and ordinances. And the story goes on to say that when this new monk came in, he said to the, to the guy in charge, but I've noticed you're copying from the copies. That could lead to some error. Wouldn't it be wiser if you copied from the original? He said, well, that's a really good idea. I'll go see if I can find the original. Disappeared for hours. Hours later, they hear this noise coming from the basement. Bam, bam, bam. Couldn't figure out what it was. It kept going on. Bam, bam, bam. So finally they went down to the basement to see what was happening. And here's this old monk beating his head up against the wall. He's bloody. He's bruised. Saying, we missed the R. We missed the R. We missed the R. The word was celebrate. Okay, you'll get that. 
What they had translated was celibate. All right, I hate it when I have to explain a joke. It just doesn't work if I have to explain it to you. We miss the R. Sometimes we just miss it by that much, don't we? Sometimes we just miss it by that much. God is saying to you and I today, I've already given you everything you need to be successful in the kingdom. You don't miss anything. You're not lacking anything. Nothing has been left out. Step into the promise. Everything you need has already been provided for you. Now think about Moses. Moses at one time, about 40 years earlier actually, had been one of the most powerful men in the world. He was the grandson of the Pharaoh of Egypt, who was the most powerful man in the world. And as the grandson, he could pretty much do what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted. He was in a place of great favor and great power. Our grandkids were here over the last couple of weeks, and it didn't matter what they asked, I said yes. You see, because I'm convinced it's not my problem to discipline, that's their parents' problem. It's my job to spoil them, to give them what they want. Sometimes it was a bit of a stretch when they said, Pops, let's go out in the backyard and play baseball, and it's 110 degrees. That's not what I want to do, but I did it. When they said, Pops, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I know they're down in the plaza. I understand they pay us rent, but I got to tell you, I hate that place with a passion. But we went down to Chuck E. Cheese, ate some of that cardboard pizza and let them play the game so they could get some of those tickets and buy those nickel trinkets that I paid 20 bucks for. You know what I mean? Grandkids, they do something to you. Moses was the grandson of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He was the guy that was in position and power. We've already talked about what he did by murdering an Egyptian, hiding him in the sand and fleeing for his life. He became self-disposed to a place of absolute isolation. He walked away from the civilized world and became a shepherd. One of the lowliest jobs in that time. But not just a shepherd, but a shepherd for his father-in-law. There's not a lot of things worse than working for your father-in-law, you know what I mean? Oh, maybe working for your mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. Working for his father-in-law. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes, or should we say sandals. Realize that he's on the backside of the desert. He's been there for 40 years. All hopes, dreams, aspirations are gone. He's just going to live out his life, be done, check out, and hopefully see God someday. And then God interrupts him on the backside of the desert through a burning bush that was not consumed. And he said to Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And it was his rod, his shepherd's staff. And God said to him, you need to throw it down because I'm going to prove my power to you. I'm going to prove they will listen to you because of who I am, not because of who you are. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God will prove himself through you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Pardon me. That rod was essential to Moses. It was essential to his livelihood. It was essential to his future, to his success, to his protection. It wasn't just some stick he had picked up and was carrying around. This thing was a tool of his trade. He had to have the rod and God said, throw it down. The rod had a crook on one end of it so that when the sheep wandered away, he could reach out as an extension of his arm and pull them back where they needed to be. 
If one fell down a cliff or a crevice, he could reach down with the hook and pull them back up to safety. If predators or wild animals came against his flock, he would flip it around and use the blunt end of that rod to hit them, to poke them, to discourage them from their plan. He could also swing it like a baseball back to deliver a blow to an enemy or to a predator, to drive them out of the way and to cause them to return and and stop the attack. The staff was necessary for what he was doing. No shepherd would ever leave home without that staff or that rod. It was indispensable, essential, vital to the everyday life of a shepherd. And God said to Moses, I want you to take that one possession, the one thing that you're depending upon, the one thing that determines your livelihood, the one thing you don't want to give up, I want you to take that one thing and I want you to throw it down. Now, we're starting to get into people's business right now, so you might want to pull your toes back under the seat. God is going to say to a lot of you in this place, it's time to lay it down. It's time to let him have it. It's time to let him prove his power through you by what he can do when you surrender all to him. When you quit arguing, you quit fighting, you quit bellyaching, you quit griping, you quit grumbling, you quit saying, why me? You stop the pity party and throw it down. He will prove his power in you and through you. Throw down his rod meant that he was giving up his means of livelihood. It means that he could actually die in the desert where the predators were at without that rod to protect himself and his flock. When I think about that, I begin to realize there are things we hold so tightly that God is simply saying, why don't you lay it down? Why don't you lay it down? Why don't you lay it down and give me an opportunity to show what I can do in you and through you? So I was thinking about and praying about this message earlier in the week. I thought of three things that God may ask you to lay down. Now, there's blanks on your outline, so you can write in whatever you want to write in. I'm just going to make three suggestions. If they fit you, fine. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit will tell you what he's speaking in your heart and in your life. But I believe there are three areas that are pretty much true to all of human nature that we need to learn to lay down. The first is our family. The second is our finances. Our family deals with relationships. Our finances deals with possessions. And the third is our future. That deals with our hopes and our dreams. So many times we hold these things so tightly, God can't get through to us to do what he wants to do in our lives. Can I tell you folks, God is a God of change. God is a God that is constantly moving. He is a God who blows as the wind, the the scripture says. And if we are stagnant, if we are fastened in one place, if we are bound by our family, by our relationships, if we are bound by our finances and our possessions, if we are bound by our future and our dreams, it inhibits God and sometimes prohibits God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. So it's important we say, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender every relationship. I surrender everything I have and possess. I surrender my dreams, my hopes for the future. Everything that I have carefully laid out, I surrender all. God said to Moses, throw that thing down. Throw that thing down. I want to tell you three stories from Scripture very quickly that illustrate these three things. That help us to understand that when God speaks, we have to learn to respond to him. You see, here's the scriptural principle. We have to release in order to receive. 
Did you hear me? We have to release in order to receive. We have to release a relationship. We have to put them in God's hand. Oh, parents, hear me. You've done all you can do for that wayward child. It's time to release them and put them in God's hand and let God do what God can do when you quit, quit trying to do what you can do. I'm here to tell you, he is a redeeming God. And he can redeem that child. He can redeem their past. He can overcome their errors and their sins. He can bring them back to that place where he wants them to be. Because believe it or not, he loves them more than you love them. you got to release to receive. So many times we hold our possessions so tight. We live in a very uncertain economy. i got to save and save and save. I've got to keep it for myself, myself, myself. When God is saying release, and you're going to receive. Listen, I learned a long time ago, it's better to have nothing in the bank but have God on my side than to have a million in the bank and doing it on my own. Come on, somebody. It's time to release to receive. Possessions are a big thing in this society. We're measured by our toys, by what we have. By the size of our check, by the size of our bank account, by the size of our retirement account, by how much real estate we own, it's time to release in order to receive. And then in that third area, our future, our hopes, our dreams. Some of us have our life mapped out from the time we're five years old. I'll never forget my oldest daughter, Mindy. When she was probably five years old, she started putting together a wedding book. Anybody have a kid like that? That girl drove me nuts. Every time we went to the store, she'd want to buy another wedding book. Mindy, you're five years old. Give me a break. Give me a break. But she had that book. She put it together. She planned her perfect wedding just the way she thought it should be. I'll never forget, I took him to Chicago one time, and we stayed out in Gary, Indiana. Didn't really have a plan. We were on vacation. And on vacation, I don't make a plan. We just go and have fun. So I told my kids the night before, we're going to get on the train and ride it into Chicago, and we'll just see what we can see. She had a fit. Dad, you got to have a plan. Dad, that's not safe. Dad, we can't do that. Relax, Mindy, we'll be fine. You met Mindy last week, didn't you? Relax, you'll be fine. Some of us have our lives planned out from a very early age, and when something happens to throw a kink in that plan, we just don't know what to do. God's saying, lay it down. He's saying, lay it down. Did you ever think that maybe he has a better plan? Did you ever think that maybe he has a greater plan? Did you ever think that maybe the plans he has for you are greater than anything you could ever dream or imagine? Wait a minute. That's almost scripture, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. He said he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even begin to think. Ephesians 3.20. Read it and weep. Let him do something big in your life. Lay your future, lay your plans down to him. Realize when we learn to release, we begin to receive. We receive. God said to Moses, cast it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And what did he do? The Bible says he fled. Well, that's a pretty smart guy, isn't it? That's a pretty smart guy. Not many of us are going to stand around when there's a snake in sight, right? Absolutely. We're going to run as fast and as far as we can. We want nothing to do with it. We see danger. Even if it's a garden snake, we see danger. Well, it might bite me. Yeah, it might, but it's not going to hurt you. The Bible says when it turned into a snake, Moses fled from us. Now, here's the point. Sometimes when we begin to lay things down, what God does scares us to death. Oh, that wasn't in the plan. 
That's not what I wanted. I got to be honest with you, every morning when I get up and I look at this church and the things we're dealing with, it scares me to death. I can't do this. I need a God who declares I am that I am to come into my life every day and declare it's not you. But if you'll lay it down, I'm going to work through you to bring about my will and purposes. Some of you may not be up against those things that we're up against, but you still need to learn to lay it down. And when you do, sometimes that brings fear into your life. You begin to run. Sometimes God scares us to death. Why? Because we can't comprehend on the front end what God's going to do on the back end. Oh, come on, folks. Get that in your spirit. We can't comprehend on the front end what God's going to do on the back end. But I've got news for you. His plans are for a hope and for a future, for peace, for prosperity into your life when you lay it down and when you give it to him. Listen, it's, I don't know if this is in your notes or not. I can't remember. But you need to understand when God asks us to do something we don't understand, that doesn't filter right through our computer. When God asks to do something we don't understand, He's doing it so He can teach us something that we don't know. When God asks us to do something we don't understand, He's doing it to teach us something we don't know. See, and it all begins with laying it down. It's a great illustration of this principle in the book of Genesis chapter 7, or chapter 22, pardon me. It's a story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac has been born. He's the son of promise. It's through Isaac that God will honor the promise to make Abraham the father of nations. You understand that years have passed since that promise was first given to Abraham way back when he was still with his family and his father. But in that point and in that place and in that position, probably around 40 years have already passed since that promise was given. Isaac, I believe, was a young man, maybe a teenager at the point in time when God asked Abram to take him and lay him down as a sacrifice. You can read it in Genesis 22:5. And Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, here's the principle. God asked him to take what was most prized of possession and lay it down. He asked him to take his only son, the son of promise, the son that would be the heir to all that God was going to do, and lay it down. Give him up. He's asking Abraham to trust him. But notice in the scripture, Abraham said to his servants when they got to the mountain, you guys stay here. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now listen, Abraham understood sacrifice. He knew what God was asking required the death of his son. But he also understood that if I am willing to trust God, if I'm willing to be obedient, if I'm willing to lay down my most prized thing, which is my son, my family, my future, if I'm willing to lay it down, then if he dies, God is going to raise him from the dead. Because the promise of God is ever true. See, so many times we only see what's right in front of us. Lay it down. I can't make that sacrifice. Make the sacrifice because that opens the door for you to begin to receive the promise of God in and over your life. But until you make the sacrifice, you'll never see the promise. Abraham was convinced. He knew God well enough. He trusted God enough to know that what God had previously spoken as a promise over his life would come to pass if he simply obeyed. Now, he didn't know how that was going to work out. You see, when God 
does something we don't understand. It's to teach us something we don't know. When God does something we don't understand, it's to teach us something we don't know. So he laid Isaac down. He began to follow the plan of God. He began to do what God asked him to do. Now notice in verse 7 of that passage of Scripture, Isaac, I can almost see him. Hey, Dad, i got a question. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. But I don't see the lamb. What sacrifice are we offering on this altar that we're going to build? Where is the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? And look at what Abraham said to him. He said very clearly to him, God will provide himself. Hear that? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. There is some scriptural truth in that one phrase, and you need to get it today, because so many times we think that God is distant and removed from us. I'm here to tell you, He's right here. He's right now. He knows and understands what's going on in our heart. When Isaac raised his hand and said, Dad, I don't understand. We got almost everything, but not quite everything that we need. How is this going to work out? It doesn't make sense. When God does something we don't understand, it's to teach us something we don't know. Oh, come on, get it in your spirit, church. He said, I don't get this, Dad. Where's the lamb? And listen to that statement. God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, you and I know and understand that this is a picture, a foreshadow of what God was going to do through his son, Jesus Christ, at Calvary thousands of years later. But do you understand the significance of that? Do you understand that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, because he needed his righteousness to be satisfied, and the only way to do that was to provide for himself a lamb. And Jesus came and became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God will provide for himself a lamb. Now hear it. Get it in your spirit. When you're at that place and you're laying something down and you still have questions, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't see that we have everything that we need. I don't understand this, God. Understand he's already provided the sacrifice for himself. It's already there, folks. What did we start with? First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. God will provide for himself. See, when you look at this story, it really wasn't a test of obedience. It was a test of relationship. Do you know me well enough, God is saying to Abraham, do you know me well enough to trust me? Do you know me well enough to depend on me? Do you know me well enough to believe I will provide the sacrifice? It's not a matter of obedience. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of relationship. It's a matter of relationship. See, we need to understand when it comes to that first area, our family, our relationships, we've got to believe that God knows better than we do. Some of you in this room are in toxic relationships. It's time to lay them down. I spoke with a lady just this past week who told me she had went back to her ex eight times, and every time she had to leave. I said, why do you keep going back? I don't know. It's time to lay it down. Come on, it's time to lay it down. It's time to get some liberty and get some freedom from that thing which has plagued you for years and years and years and years. It's time to lay it down. 
Second thing I want to talk to you about is it's time to lay down finances or possessions. story I want to share with you is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. The backdrop for the story is this. Elijah was the prophet of God. Ahab was the king of Israel. A more wicked man never lived than Ahab and his crazy wife Jezebel. I mean, they were horrible. Horrible. I didn't begin to describe them. So God said, I'm going to judge Israel because you've turned so far away from me. And he called Elijah to send a word to Ahab. And the word is, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. That's essentially what he told him. You can read it in 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 3. And then it says that God sent Elijah to the brook Cherith. And he sat there. And it says that the ravens came morning and night and brought him bread and he drank from the brook. Now, what was his word to Ahab? It's not going to rain, right? All right, now this is going to mess with some of your minds big time. So please listen and stay with me. I don't want you to leave here all screwed up theologically. I want you to understand what God is saying to you. You see, Elijah was the man of God. Elijah had given the word that God said to deliver. Elijah had done what God asked him to do, and he went to the brook, and he sat down, and morning, here come the flat of ravens with bread. Evening, they come back again. There's water in the brook. He has all that is need. He's doing what God asked him to do. He's in the place where God wants him to be. Now I'm going to mess with you. And then when you read the next verse, it says, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now you try to wrap your mind around that. Well, I'm right where God put me. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, but the anointing isn't flowing anymore. I just don't understand it. Did you ever consider, maybe he wants to move you to another place. Maybe he wants to take you to another dimension. Maybe he wants to move you out of that comfort zone and use you in a greater way when you move into his will and his presence. Listen to me. We are living in a culture that is under the judgment of God. There's no doubt about it. And so many people really believe, well, I'm a believer, therefore that won't touch me. Tell that to Elijah. His brook dried up. His brook dried up. Tell that to the Hebrews. They endured the first three plagues. Well, this is going to mess with you. You need to understand God allows us to walk through hard times in order for us to grow deeper in Him. He allows us to walk through difficult circumstances so that we can turn back one more time and declare, My God is the God of the universe. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great I Am. And no matter what He says, I'm going to do. I am His child. We need to understand that when the diagnosis is bad, God's still God. When finances are low, God's still God. When it seems like there's more against you than for you, God is still God. Yeah, you'll come to some times when your brook's going to dry up, but you need to know it's because he didn't intend for you to stay by that brook forever. He had something else for you to do, and it's time to pack your bags and get down to the widow of Zarephath. When you read that scripture, God said, I provided a widow in Zarephath to care for you. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? This old gal must be wealthy. She must have more than she needs if she's going to take care of me as well as she and her family. That's what you think logically, right? That's what you think naturally. This gal's got all that we need. It's not going to be a problem. But you take a look at that story. If you put that scripture back up on the screen one more time. 
It says, God said to Elijah, verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath and dwell there. I've commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. So the first part of the promise is true. There's a widow in Zarephath. She's gathering sticks to build a fire. I can almost see it in Elijah's mind. Well, she's already, she knows I'm coming. God did prepare this for me. She's going to fix me an elaborate meal and things are all okay. The brook may have dried up, but when it dried up, God sent me a rich widow woman. Oh, I love that. I love that. I have no worries anymore. I'm going to live like a king. I got a rich widow woman taking care of me. She's gathering sticks and he said to her, please bring me a little water in a cup that I can drink. That's not a problem. She had plenty of water. There was a well close by. She could draw it up. She could bring him a cup of water. She could do that. Now listen, listen, because here's where it gets interesting. The next thing that he asked her, and you can read it, and as she was going to get it, he said to her, please bring me a morsel of bread out of your hand. Oh, now we begin to learn the backstory. This widow wasn't rich. She was destitute. She had nothing. She said, but you don't understand, sir. The water I can do, that's not a problem. But the bread, that's an issue. That's an issue. Because I just have enough meal and enough oil to make one cake. My son and I are going to split it, and then we're going to die. Oh, my goodness. How does that mess with your thinking? God, you said if I'd walk away from the brook, there'd be a widow to provide for me. But I get here, and she's poorer than Job's mouth. How is that going to work? This gal can't do anything for me. God, I don't get this. This is absolutely insane. I'd be better off to stay by the brook. At least the crows would bring me bread, even if I didn't have water. Now I've got water and I ain't got no bread. This makes no sense. No sense. That's the way we think. But God began to speak to this man of God, to Elijah. And Elijah said to her in verse 14, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. What's he saying? He's saying if you'll lay down what you got, even though it's little, even though it's meager, even though it doesn't amount to much, if you'll lay down what you got, God is going to open the windows of heaven. He's going to pour out upon you what you cannot contain. He's going to make sure that your little becomes much and he will sustain you when you lay it down. Oh, somebody hear that. You got to learn to lay it down. You got to quit counting your nickels. Lay it down so he can fill you with some good things in your heart and in your life. Lay it down so he can do what he desires to do in you and through you. You see, the water for the widow was not a problem. The bread for the widow was life and death. Life and death. So God put her in a place where he had to stretch her so that he could minister to her. So he could provide for her. I believe with all of my heart that God puts us in positions or allows us to walk through things that stretch our faith, that stretch our trust, that stretch our obedience for the express reason of showing his power in our lives. Lay it down and see what he can do. Lay it down and see what he can do. God had already told Elijah that widow's going to provide for you. So it was not out of ordinary for him to say, 
Not only a cup of water, but a little bread would be nice too. Because God said she's going to provide for you. Hear me. It doesn't matter what she thought. What matters is what did God say. Some of you need to understand that this morning. It doesn't matter what you see. It matters what have you heard. What has the word of the Lord been to your life? Has he declared himself to be true and faithful and just and kind? Has he revealed his grace and his mercy, his power, his awesome presence in your life? If he has, then stop looking at what you see and start listening to what you hear and stand on the word of the living God. Throw it down. Throw it down. Throw it down. And see what God can do. I'm here to tell you, even in times of trouble, my God is ever faithful. You say, I don't believe that. Put it on the screen, Psalm 37. The Word says these words from Psalm 37. And I'll flip over there so I can read it to you. There it is. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. Who is it talking about? It's talking about the people of God. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. That's the promise of God. Jump on down to verse 25, and this is what David said. He said, I've been young, and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, it's time to lay down the possessions. Lay down the finances. They won't get you where you want to go. But if you lay it down, the God of the universe will come to your side. We'll fill you with provision. We'll fill you with blessing. And he'll get you where he wants you to go. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down and let God do what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. Lay it down. Look at verses 4 and 5 one more time from Exodus 4. God said to Moses, lay it down. When he threw it down, it became a serpent. And he ran from it. Smart thing to do. But then here came the other thing God said to him. Now pick it up by the tail. That's not a smart thing to do. And if you ever tried to catch a snake, you never catch a snake by the tail. Catch a snake by the head. Because if you catch him by the tail, it's very likely he'll whip around and bite you. Matter of fact, I can almost guarantee that's exactly what will happen. If you catch a snake by the tail. Moses, I can almost see it. Are you kidding me? You want me to pick that thing up by the tail? God, has it been that long since you created this thing? You don't remember how it works? Have you all ever lectured God? Anybody? I have. Have you ever bargained with God? I have. Have you ever tried to reason with God? I have. Pick him up by the tail. God, you're nuts. I'm not picking that thing up by the tail. I don't want to get bit. Now listen to me, some of us won't lay it down because we don't want to pick it back up as God tells us to pick it up. Oh, come on. We want to keep it just the way it is, but if we lay it down and then he tells us to pick it back up, it may not look like it did when I laid it down. He threw down a rod and it turned into a serpent and then God said, pick it up by the tail. Moses said, I wasn't born yesterday. That's not a smart thing to do. You don't go around picking up snakes by the tail. You just don't do that. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. The first command was lay it down. The second command was pick it up. Come on, hear me, folks. Sometimes we hold on to things so tightly because we're afraid of losing them when really God is simply going to demonstrate his power in our lives if we will obey and lay it down. 
And then we lay it down, and we are so relieved of that burden, and then God says, pick it up. We don't want to pick it up. We don't want to touch that thing. You told me to lay it down. I did what you asked. Now quit giving me other instructions for that. And God said, pick it up by the tail. And when he did, when he actually obeyed, then it turned back into his rod. See, I'm saying that because you need to understand the third point, and that is that laying it down requires risk. We risk our future. We risk our hope. We risk our dreams. We risk our tomorrows. We risk our well-laid plans when we lay it down. Lay it down. Last story I'm going to tell you is found in the book of Esther, chapter 4. You know the story, the Jews had been exiled, taken captive into Persia. After the exile was over, many of them stayed in that region of the country rather than going back home. There was a man of God by the name of Mordecai who had exposed a plot against the king and told the king of it. He was never rewarded for it. And then the king's wife disobeyed him. She wouldn't come in and dance for all of his drunk buddies, and he got mad, so he dethroned her, said, let's find a new queen. So a search throughout the entire Persian empire was made for the most beautiful woman to be the new queen. Interesting that Esther was chosen. Interesting that Esther was not a Persian, she was a Jew. She was not in her land, she was living in a land of foreigners and strangers. And she was chosen to be the queen. And then when you read the story, there's an evil guy that's next to the king. His name is Haman, and he hates Mordecai because Mordecai tells him the truth. And so he said, I'm going to make that guy die. He's going to go away. So he devised a plot to exterminate every Jew in the Persian Empire. Every one of them on the same day were to be killed across the empire. Mordecai heard, heard of this. And he sent a messenger into the queen. Now, he can't see her even though he's her uncle. He can't have physical contact with her. She's surrounded and protected. So he sends a message into her saying, this is what's going to happen. We need your help. We need you to step up. And you can read it in verses four through chapter 4, verse 14, where the Bible says, after the message was sent to her, she sent back a word to him saying, but do you not understand? I can't go before the king without an invitation. If I do, he'll kill me. That's the law. And then Mordecai says these words, Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the, for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house, you're done for. You're done for. Listen, folks, there comes a time in our life when we have to lay down our dreams, lay down our visions, lay down our hopes, where we have to understand maybe what we thought is not what God had in store for us, and I've got to lay it down in order to receive what He does have for me. I've got to lay it down. If you remain silent, God will raise another deliverer. That's what He's saying to her. You don't have to say a word, but God's still got this thing under control. And then it goes on to say that she said, Gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan. Fast for me for three days. And I love that line you just had on the screen. Back up once. I skipped over it, please. Back up one scripture to verse 15. He went on to say, Who knows? But you've come to the kingdom for such an hour as this. It's a powerful statement. Powerful statement. I remember standing right here on, I think it was January the 10th, if I'm not mistaken, 2014. And Mark Foley, stand up, Mark. 
You asked me a question that night. You said, are you the man to lead this house? Are you the man? And God dropped that scripture into my heart. He said, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You see, you've got to get that in your spirit. There are days that you're going to look at what's against you. And you're going to say, I give up. I quit. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I don't care. And God says, you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. God says, I've already given you everything you need for life and godliness. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Oh, hear me, folks. There comes times in your life when you have to lay down what you think and pick up what he thinks and stand firm in his promise and firm in his word. It's for such a time as this that I've came into the kingdom. You can read the rest of the story. I don't have to go through it this morning, the time to go through it this morning, but you need to understand, he says, when you choose to put your life in that place, Esther, God chooses to come to your aid and rescue. And as a result, the Jewish people were rescued and saved, and Mordecai was hanged on the gallows he built or excuse me, Haman was hanged on the gallows he built for Mordecai. Oh, you tell me that in poetic justice. You tell me that isn't God declaring, and I will make all things work to your good and for my benefit. Tell me that isn't. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you thou shalt condemn. Tell me that's not the heritage of the servants of the Lord. When we determine to lay it down. When we determine to lay it down. Stand your feet with me across this place. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're in this room this morning. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you were to die today, your eternity would not be heaven. It would be hell. And more than anything, you need to know that God has a plan for your life, and it's a plan of redemption. That means He saves you, He delivers you, He turns you around, He forgives your sin. It's a plan of restoration when you choose to lay down your life and give it to Him. I'm talking to you this morning. The Holy Spirit's been convicting you and convincing you since you walked into this room of your need to surrender to Jesus Christ. That's you this morning. Say, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus to come to my heart and into my life. I want Him to forgive me, to save me, to help me, to change me. That's you. Right where you stand, would you lift up your hand and say, pray for me. That's me. Anyone across the room this morning, as I wait just a moment, just raise your hand, pray for me. That's me. I want Jesus to come into my heart and into my life today. All right, very good. Very good. We're doing two more things in this service this morning. Number one... I'm asking Brittany to come back and sing that song one more time, I Surrender All. And I want you to sing it with her. And I want you to think about those things in your life that you need to lay down so he can reveal his power to you. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.